Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. All right, welcome to the special edition of the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm Rick Gerard, your host, and we're doing our third episode in the series on the most effective video interview structure. This is part three, where we're talking about the video interview, the actual interview itself. We already covered the timeline, the structure, and the phone screen. This is the third part in the series that a lot of you have been interested in, and I'm joined again by my friend, John Driscoll. John, thank you so much for joining me again to do this with me. Yeah, thank you, Rick for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's been nice to have this going on in quarantine that we can still do this. (laughs) Right? I know. It's such a lonely studio here too. It's like I miss having (laughs) guests here. Key points for the episode. We're going to go through the timeline. We're just going to reinforce that again. Then we're going to talk about behavioral questions because a key part of this interview structure is behavioral questions. I want to talk about the importance of those and how to determine which ones you use and then how to use them. And then we're going to do a little mock interview. I hope I get the job. I hope... (laughs) (laughs) You're already hired, my man. Timeline for video interviews. So let's talk about that first. So we already went through this structure where you've gone through the process, you've got to a phone screen, and now is the time when you really want to bring somebody through the interview process. I encourage people to do this within 72 hours of the phone screen, at least have your first interview set up. And the reason why is, again, especially with opportunistic hiring that is going on right now, the truth is that people check out after a certain amount of time. You want to be for to the punch. You want to be able to be proactive. You want to bring people through the process and not have the attitude, oh, well, they'll wait for me. There's a lot of people on the market looking. That's a death sentence. If you have that attitude, thinking that you're going to get the best people because there's a lot of good people on the market, you still are going to have to be disciplined in your process and make sure that you're bringing people through the interview in a timely fashion. This is what's going to win hires still. So this works in any economy. If you're impressive to the people that you're interviewing, they're going to want to work for you. So within 72 hours of that phone screen, you want to have your first interview lined up. Now the timeline for video interviews, like I said before, you can either split them at three and one or two and two. You can break them up over a couple days. I like to get them done over a one day period where you just have back to backs lined up. It makes it a lot easier to gather feedback. Gathering feedback once the interview's over, it's responsibility of the person who is leading this to make sure that you are the one who is gathering the intel from everybody in real time right after the process. So things are still fresh and you're still getting the evidence that you need to move forward or release somebody from the process. 45 minutes apiece. That's what we're looking at. You can schedule 45 minutes a piece and you're really only looking at three to four questions. You can gather so much information in that 45 minutes that is so much more valuable than an hour interview. The only one that I recommend be an hour interview at the end would be the final stakeholder, the last interviewer to answer any additional questions or do some light selling. Rick, do you find like a lot of interviewers try to get a ton more questions than four Like they try to have 10 or something crazy. Yeah, and there's no need for that. And it's really important that you assign questions to the individual interviewer. There's no reason why you should just leave the interview to the person's discretion. Like, hey, you know what? I need you to talk to so-and-so. Just find out how good the person is. There's not a lot of training that goes into it. People just go back to what they've learned or what they've experienced in the past, which, as I said before, is usually no better than a glorified Burger King interview. You're just going to get the same (laughs) questions. Where do you want to be in five years? All these no-brainer questions. 
questions that people are prepared to answer. They go into their data banks in their brain and they just go, okay, well, I know how to answer that question. You really want them to be challenged. You want to get into the details of exactly those questions and dig deep on them. Think of yourself like Inspector Cluzo or who is Peter Falk? Columbo. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Columbo, right? Yeah. You want to go deep into <laughs> really finding out the details to make sure that you're getting accurate information. This brings us to behavioral questions. Now, I don't think a lot of people understand what behavioral questions are or the importance of how to do behavioral questions. You must have questions that are pre-written and assigned to the individual interviewer. So interviewer number one is going to be responsible for these four questions. Number two uh, is going to be responsible for these questions. Break it up this way. The first one is a cultural interview which we'll kind of delve into a little bit further. The second one is your skills test. And I love, love, love doing a working session with a person. Really? Because that person is giving you a snapshot of how well they're going to work with members of your team. It's not about answering questions about what you know and how well you know it. It's how well they work with your team and how are they going to contribute to the brain trust? How are they going to contribute mm. to the product? It gives that person a really strong snapshot of whether or not they can communicate which is really the most important thing in any work environment. And then the other two are cultural as well with skills mixed into it. But it's got to be based on gaining alignment to your cultural values, what it is you're building your company about. So don't just pick random behavioral questions out of a hat. You can go on Google, you can look up behavioral interview questions, and you can find a million of them. There's great questions, but they have to be deliberate. You can't just say, well, I want somebody who's nimble. Here's a question about somebody who's nimble, unless that's something that's really core to your environment. I can't wait to hear your favorite question because I feel like I'm going to totally steal it from you. Yeah, you know, I have a couple, so we'll go through that. Okay. I think what's important is, even though it's my favorite, and this is something I learned from one of my clients years ago, it's got to be tied to something that's really core to your company and building your company. That's really the most important thing. So if you have actual company values that are written out, and a lot of startups don't, but if you do, mm. then it's really easy to design questions that are tailored to extract that information to see if somebody fits into that. Here's another place where people make a lot of mistakes on behavioral interviews is they don't dig deep enough. So this is why I say only give three to four questions. If you give four questions and you have 45 minutes, you can go really deep. If you give them the ability to go deeper, if you give 10 questions, they skip through things and you're not gathering as much information that's going to be valuable to whether or not this person is going to be a good fit for your organization. The easiest way to do this, every question you ask is drill down to the how and the why. If you don't know what to ask, ask why. How did you do that? Why is that important to you? What worked? What didn't work? You really have to go granular into what somebody did or what that example is or how they acted in order for you to get accurate information and then poke holes in it. You'll find that people will give high-level answers. You'll find that you'll get a lot of, well, we did this. I'm not really interested in what we did. I want to know what you did specifically. Again, it's getting you to the truth of who the person is and exactly what it is they did. Do you find that the interviewee, if the question's really good, Rick, the interviewee almost doesn't even know if they answered it right? But here's the thing. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just yeah. sharing of information. And you can let them know there is a right or wrong answer for you. Again, it's just evaluating the evidence that you're gathering to make sure that that person is in alignment or can mm -hmm. be in alignment with your company goals. There's a method out there called the STAR method, which is situation, task, approach, and result. That's a way if you want to learn about it. I'm not going to delve into how to do it. I've just found it's really easy to ask why and how. So you can keep it really simple. When me as the person who's gathering the feedback 
says, okay, walk me through this question. How did they answer? So it's not like their impression. It's actually the evidence of specifically what was done. What were the actions taken? Here's the layout of how I like to do this. Interview one is cultural value and alignment. And I'm going to give you a snapshot of how we do this. John, really quickly, do you have your corporate values? And it's okay if you do or don't. Did you have your corporate values written up? Does everybody within your organization know exactly what they are? Yeah, we went through this exercise in a brand document that we put together last year. Perfect. To be truthful I would say there's probably a couple of values that people are really aware of, but not all of them. That's better than most. So you're ahead of the curve, right? Yeah. Now, are your interview questions tailored in and around those values? Yeah. So our big core value, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a core value, but more of a mantra is about leadership. If you see something wrong, then you were the person that was destined to take care of that wrong. Sure people taking their own initiative as opposed to waiting around. And in a startup, that's really critical. You can't look for somebody else to do it because you're the one to do it. That's how it is. So we really look for that core part of a person. And if they don't have that kind of real self-initiative, then they're probably not ready for us or it's just not a good fit. Yeah, which is what takes us back to our last conversation, which is you need builders and builders tend to do that. Yep. So you're looking for people who are proactive who can identify problems, people who have evidence of fixing those problems, like identifying something and taking it upon themselves to fix yeah. it. So you have three things right there that you can actually ask interview questions in and around. Mm -hmm. And again, this is really good for eliminating bias in the interview because you may mm -hmm. or may not like this person, but if you can gain evidence, then it gives you the confidence that this person will probably work out in your organization. Yep. You do want cultural diversity. You do want inclusion. You do want an environment that promotes different thinking and you just don't want to hire the same person over and over again, which is what we have a tendency to do. Well, in certain jobs, I think certain specific roles that require somebody maybe be a little pesty. Like maybe their job is organizational or operations. And so their job is to really set the hammer down. So you might find the person a little abrasive. It's okay. So I'm actually, when I see that, I'm looking for somebody. They're not afraid to say what they need. Sure. You know, if you get somebody who's really worried about stepping on toes, they're really not going to get that job done. Yeah. And that's congruent to your corporate environment. So yeah. I totally agree with you. And I would imagine everybody within your organization, you want people who have a voice. Actually, we've talked about it. You want people who have a voice who are not afraid to speak up and have the ability to stand up for what they need to. Yeah, no question. Because collaboration is a big part of our company. So if you're just sitting in the corner quiet, it's probably not going to work out that well. Yeah. yeah. But you also don't want somebody in your organization who's, who rubs everybody oh, in the wrong yeah, way, makes it a really uncomfortable environment where people just don't want to have these conversations. Yeah, you would hope that they have some tact. So a lot of times those cultural interviews I'll have and I'll ask them questions to try to describe for me how they solved a problem or tell me about how did you go about getting something done when somebody wasn't doing their job? Explain yeah. to me, how did you still accomplish the goal? Those are the ways I kind of try to get that out of them. Okay, cool. That's interview one. Interview two, I talked about skill screen. I love working sessions. I think that they are a really strong way in which you can evaluate people's skills they bring to the table and their problem solving abilities. Because that's really what you're hiring somebody for is problem solving abilities. We've done a lot of this with quite a few of our clients in different capacities. It's worked in marketing. It's worked in engineering. It's worked in 
quite a few different functions, even in finance. Now, the third person, again, is going to do cultural alignment. It's going to be focused in on a different set of questions that are values that are important to the company. And that might be the final interview. You may only have a three interviewer panel. And that's good if you're a small company. You only need three people. We've had clients that want a fourth person, and that's usually the decision maker at the end if they made it through the process. Now, when I talk about making it through the process, each interviewer also has a knockout question that's built into it. And I prep everybody who comes in for an interview that there's going to be questions that are asked that are knockout questions. And what a knockout question is, is something if you're totally in misalignment, if the company doesn't fit you as an individual where you're looking to go, it'll uncover that. And the interview will be cut short at that point and you'll part as friends and you'll have closure right there rather than we'll get back to you and you never hear anything back. Yeah, I call those red flag answers. You hear a red flag that they're just not a good fit. Like it's just, they revealed who they are. Yeah, but unfortunately what ends up happening is a lot of people go through the interview process as scheduled rather than stopping it right there and saving your time. Yeah. So each person has the power to put their veto stamp on this person and say, hey, look at this person doesn't fit with this specific value and here's why. So I shared a doc with you and I'm gonna post it in the notes where we actually went through interview questions. So I'm gonna give you a sample of one of our clients interview questions. Interviewer one, there's four questions they have that they're trying to get through. One is to understand somebody's preparation and how well they prepare for their clients. The second one is how well they innovate without fear. And then I'm just gonna do the third one, accountability, which is how well you take ownership. These are part of their company core values. We'll talk about the first one, which is preparation. When you're dealing with clients face-to-face, you gotta prepare for those calls. You can't go into them blind. It's really important that you take the time to make sure that you're doing great work and you're prepared for the conversation, especially anybody who's client interfacing. It's a simple question. Walk me through the steps you took to prepare for your last project or client presentation, whichever one's more relevant. So when I put a presentation together, generally I try to figure out what content I really need to get out understanding my audience and understanding what content I think that they really need to hear and obviously want to hear at the same time. So I outline that first and then I really start filling in the blanks between there on how I can illustrate those truths. And I have this form of teach, illustrate and apply. And I generally do that in about three to five steps. And I put that keynote together in that fashion. That's kind of my process. Okay. Perfect. So I'm going to now follow up with questions that are already predetermined. What made those steps the most efficient? I want to go granular into the detail. So walk me through each individual step. Why were those steps the best steps for you at the time? What was the timeline that was set? What potential challenges were identified and how were they prioritized for consideration? What were the things you missed? What was the result? And then as I'm going through this, I'm asking why, 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 why? Those questions are just determined to really delve deeper and gather that evidence. And this is why you only need four questions. Can you see how that one question is going to burn up probably 10 to 15 minutes? Easily, easily. (laughs) Now, this was a really important one for my client, which is innovating without fear. So taking a chance, doing things that you know could possibly fail, but taking the risk and then backing up your decision for the risk. So give me an example of something you tried and failed miserably at. It doesn't matter if it's work-related or something they did outside of work. So we set that context. And this is a knockout question for them because they needed people who were willing to take the risk, but were willing to back them, willing to fail and then change directions when they needed to and go with it. It's part of their culture. You want to take a stab at that one? 
Yeah. So whenever I've gotten myself in the role of project manager, and sometimes I'll, I'll do that. I'll say, this is so important. I need to be project manager. Basically, it's me not probably trusting other people. And so I think it's that high of a priority. And I put myself in that position. And I just realized that that's not my skill set going over those details and I can hold people accountable. I do that well, but I don't do well at managing projects. I just feel like that's not my best skill set at all. Got it. What were the circumstances that justified you taking that risk and you doing that work? Yeah, you know, workload, I think the bandwidth of the team. So sometimes I tried to fill a role because maybe the team was really bogged down in a certain area. And so somebody had to pick up the slack. And so I just thought, well, I'll just get in and do that. And it just, it generally doesn't work out well. I'm probably better off putting somebody else in that role and then putting myself in a position of strength to pitch in in a different area. Okay, so now I'm going to direct you into like a specific project normally. So I'm going to go into, okay, well, tell me about the last project that you did. We don't have to do this by any means. Yeah, sure. The last project where you filled those shoes, walk me through, I get why you did it, but now walk me through the project that you actually did and you failed at. And then I want to get evidence as to what you did when you realized that you needed to bring somebody else in. And then really, like, I want to get the whole story on how that project worked. So this is where I'm going granular. People who kind of just come in and do work that's assigned to them don't do well on this question. And this is really important for this company because a lot of people feel uncomfortable being vulnerable about this type of questioning. You'll hear people complaining about behavioral questions. And I think it's because maybe they're not educated on the value of it and why it's important to the company. And you need Mm -hmm. to do some educational piece for the people that you have coming in. But more importantly, it's playing out of people's comfort zones. And if you're out of your comfort zone, what they're used to getting from an interview process is, okay, well, a series of the same five questions over and over again, or 10 questions from four different people and giving their canned responses. So again, this is why these are so important because you're looking for evidence. Now, somebody's going to either say that they took a risk or somebody's going to say they don't take risks, right? They don't have a good example of something that they've done that they've gone to bat for because they don't want to get in trouble. Now, is that going to be somebody who's going to work well for your environment? If you can't come up with an example of something you did, either in your personal life or in your work life, more importantly, if you can't give an example of that, why would that person do well in your environment? They just won't. Yeah, there's a lot of BSing that goes on in interviews, right? Like people are just saying what they think you want to hear and without details, you're really not holding them accountable for that truth, right? Exactly. And now what we're doing is we're taking... Over the course of three cultural interviewers, they're splitting up two different values apiece. So these four questions around two different values, that's what you're looking to get at. Again, if you're doing this right, three questions is sufficient for each person. So a lot of times we don't even get to the fourth question. And that's why we always have the knockout. And knockouts are really good being the second question. Let's say, for example, you and I run through this and you haven't taken any risks and you're risk adverse and you don't want to do anything that's risky. Now I can have the conversation with you. John, you know what? This is our core culture. We're all about taking risks. And I get the feeling that this is not you. So I don't think that we're going to be a place where you're going to thrive. That being the case, and I always position it from that person's perspective, I think we should just save each other's time here, wrap up the interview and part as friends. What do you think? Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny. I've done that before. And my fellow managers have always thought I was a jerk for doing that. But I'm so glad that you're saying that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. People might be put off by it. Actually, people do get put off by it, especially if they're looking sure. for a job. And in this environment right now, you do it with some tact and you do it really nice. Sure. I think people, when they go home, at least they get closure. You know, you want to be empathetic and you want to be helpful. Maybe say, hey, look, I have a friend. Maybe I can refer you to something to that effect. After all, you're really wanting to position them for success. And you going through the interview process and wasting somebody's time and then never calling them back. I think that's the cruelest thing you can do. I really do. I can't stand that managers. I hear friends of mine and they're like, I've been waiting three weeks for a phone call. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like yeah. they haven't told you anything? Like no. That's crazy. No. And it can be done in real time. So why not? Why not do it yeah. in real time? Give somebody some closure. You're going to avoid bad glass door reviews all day long by doing that. You might get somebody who yeah. said, hey, look, at they let me know after the first interviewer that I wasn't a fit. I wasn't too happy about it. But I think after they think about it, they're going to be like, well, I got closure. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you respond to that glass door review, you can say, hey, look, at we give closure. We want to make sure that you're successful in your role. And it was fairly clear in our conversation that we would not be a good match for you. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy. I think when you get legal into it, it becomes a whole different ballgame. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as a startup, you can do it. You can you can provide feedback and you can close it. And then we get to the fourth interviewer, the final interview. It's just going to be another iteration of something that's tied to your corporate values. And again, these are really easy to set up. And then you wrap up the interview with a 24-hour decision. So after the interview goes through, if the person makes it through the fourth person, you're probably going to hire that person. So you want to keep the yeah. excitement level up. If you're on the fence for any reason, one side or the other, it's really important that you recognize that and maybe bring that person back to get them on one side of the fence or the other, but don't drag it out. If you have to bring them back or yeah. do another phone call or another interview, like a video conversation, do it within 24 hours. I've actually told candidates that I'd say, hey, I'm really on the fence. Part of me really wants to hire you. The other part, I'm just not sure about a couple of things. Can you come back in? I need to get another look. Yeah. And just be upfront with them about it. I agree. I think the upfront approach is the best way to go. But the interesting thing is that when you go through this and you have these defined questions, the one interviewer who asks one question will actually give you the answers to whatever concerns you might have. So that's why you want to carefully craft these interview questions to align with your corporate values and to make sure that you're extracting enough data out of it to answer whatever questions yeah. you might have. And then best to give immediate feedback. If you guys make a decision after the interview that, hey, we're not interested, hey, we're gonna pass. However you release people, you wanna release them from a perspective of, hey, look at, I wanna help you out. We just don't think that based on the evidence we gathered with you that you would thrive here and we want you to thrive. Offer to give a referral. And if you're interested, remember, like again, time kills hires. The longer you yeah. drag on, if you're waiting three weeks for a phone call back, yes, I'm waiting for closure. The fact of the matter is, if that person got an offer from that company three to four weeks later, then would they accept it? If they have nothing else, yes, but they're going to be excited about it. And they're going to be passionate about coming into your company and really crushing it for you. No, they're going to be interested in just taking a paycheck and doing their job. So you want people that are yeah. going to be, that are going to thrive in your organization. That's really it. The next piece that we're going to talk about is going to be 
the offer. So if you guys want to hear more about how to extend an offer and what to do, we'll talk about that in the next episode. But if not, this gives you our playbook on how you can do an effective video interview and uncover the people that you really need to hire and be able to attract those people that are really going to thrive in your environment. Anything else, John, you want to add? Well, yeah, that's what it's all about. Like there's people I have not let go. And then when I did finally let them go, I had one specifically in my mind. I kept him around another year and I probably should have let him go. He goes to another place and he perfectly thrives in that environment. And he was a way underachiever with us. Yeah. But you put him in the right scenario and he had a great life in front of him. And I always remember that because I realized keeping somebody around or hiring them sometimes is the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. You really could be holding them back from real success in their own life by just being upfront and honest and just saying it's not a good fit. It's sometimes the best thing you can do. That is the perfect way to look at it too, because you're looking at it from their vantage, what's going to benefit them. And really, like as a leader, that's what you need to do. You need to be more concerned about your people than you, because when you're more concerned about your people, they thrive in the environment. You know, sometimes we don't look well into our environment enough to get out of our own way. Yeah, it's true. Well, we think the most important thing is them getting a paycheck tomorrow. That's not the most important thing. No. It is right now, maybe, but not in the long term. That is so very true. All right. Hey, John, thank you so much for joining me on this special content episode. I really appreciate it. Man, you've just been a big help and thank you so much. No problem. I'm learning a lot. I feel like <laughs> I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to interview some people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get together offsite and I'll help you design yours and get them through. So I'm happy to do that. Sounds good. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for tuning into this special episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Christopher Decker, our producers, Andrea Ballin and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. The show's for you. You can always drop me an email also at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune into our normal episode on Tuesday and thanks again for joining us. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success. Rick Turner.